Well, good morning. It's great to be able to share with you today. Um, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon of the Mount, and today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. And it's really looking at treatment of others as those who are followers of Jesus. I wonder how many of you have been avidly following the Euros over the last month, I think it is now. And I wonder how many of us wannabe England managers think we know better than Gareth Southgate. We know who he should play, we know when he should play them, what kind of football he should play. We are superb armchair managers and really do think we know better than him. Or perhaps on a more serious note, how many of us would look back over the last 15, 18 months at the government's handling of the coronavirus, the pandemic, and think that we could have carried out a much better job if we'd been in power? If only Boris Johnson and the scientific advisors had listened to us, then things would have been even better than they have been and some of the mistakes that have been made would not have been made. I'm not saying that scrutiny isn't necessary in things of life. Of course it is. But how easily we get delusions of grandeur for things in which we have no active responsibility. I speak to you today as we come to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, as I speak to you as one flawed wannabe follower of Jesus. Presumably to other wannabe followers of Jesus, I speak as a follower disciple who knows that without the changed heart that has been given me through the work of Christ and the gift of the Spirit, I would never look like a follower disciple of Jesus. The way of the kingdom and the character of Jesus would never be seen in me. Just ask my wife. She can tell you about my flaws and many of you can too. This Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew is for those kind of followers, flawed followers. And this sermon impacts everything as we live, as we work, as we love, as we care, as we rule, as we govern, as we judge, as we pray. As we raise kids, as we handle finance, this kingdom message that comes through the Sermon on the Mount touches the whole of my life. It touches everything. And the starting place, as we've rehearsed many times, for this kingdom, for entering this kingdom, for receiving this kingdom, is a recognition of our need for God and an acceptance of his invitation, his welcome to respond. It is, as we've said, for those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are humble. They are those who enter this kingdom. And listen, those are always the ones who enter the kingdom. The poor in spirit, the meek, the humble. That's always the attitude of those who continually see this kingdom worked out in their lives. Let me go to the beginning of our text, verse 1 to 6 in chapter 7. It says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. 
If you do, they may, be tramp they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think the first point that comes out of our passage is this. Don't judge or you will be judged. It's the opening statement of our verses. But what is going on here? Is Jesus truly saying don't judge? I mean, isn't that something inherent in the human makeup that we kind of critique and judge and, and look at things and have opinions? Isn't that kind of how we are? I wonder what Jesus is really after as, we, as he says don't judge. Can you remember the previous chapter, chapter 6, that began with the admonition to not to give uh, finance or to pray or to fast in a way that drew attention to you, that somehow made you the centre of things, that portrayed you somehow as super righteous. Don't do those things. That's not the righteousness of the kingdom of God. And this was followed in the second half of that chapter, as Dave Oliver took us in a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, emphasising where our focus should be. That our focus should be on treasures in heaven. Serving the right Lord. Trusting the good Father and seeking his kingdom. In that context... I think what Jesus is emphasising is the negative, oftentimes condemnatory judging that goes on. I've entered the kingdom, maybe meekly at the time, but now I've had my heart changed and I've begun to be transformed by the Spirit and, and now I think I've got it all together. Things are looking up for me because of the grace and the gifts of God, but I forget the source and think it's about me, that somehow this belongs to me, this is owned by me. And, and so now I judge and I look down from on high, critiquing, condemning, because I see not many people around who have got it together in the way that I have. I hope and trust you know I'm joking, but I hope the point is made. I notice every speck in your eye. And miss the plank in my own. It's a, it's a humorous picture. You're walking around with a plank in my eye while I'm trying to cake the speck out of your own eye. <laughs> it's hyperbole going on here. But it's very powerful. For many years I resisted getting glasses. I was in my mid-40s, was quite pleased with myself that I could still see through my own eyes without having to have bits of glass in front of them to aid me. And my sisters were getting glasses and they were younger than me and I was actually quite chuffed until one day. I'm in Tesco's looking for a present for Helen, probably Christmas or something like that. And one of the things I wanted was a CD and I picked this CD up from the shelf and could not read the writing on it to check it was the one I wanted. Eventually I had to ask someone who I didn't know from Adam who came alongside and say, uh, would you mind reading this for me? I needed to concede that actually I couldn't see, that I needed to get my eyes tested, and now I need glasses and wear them. It's a humorous story, but how often have I done that on more serious matters? Compare my attendance, my apparent giving, my apparent holiness, my vision, my commitment to the cause, my reading of scripture, my discipline. My nose gets longer and longer as I look down it, judging and critiquing from on high. <laughs> I think what Jesus 
is chasing, is after, is our attitude, our character, our tone. He wants us to remember that we got into the kingdom in meekness, in reliance, in receiving. Well, he wants us to know and live out the fact that we were poor in spirit and to remember that. That I am not the moral uni- police of the universe, Inspector Phil, and neither are you. We always were and always will remain dependent upon God. And there's a warning in this passage. If we persist in that kind of looking down my nose, judgmental, condemnatory judgment, then that's what will come back on me. It will come back and bite me. There's a story told in Matthew chapter 18. We know it well. It's a story told of a king who's owed 10,000 bags of gold. And the king goes to the person who owes him this money and is going to uh, make him sell everything that he possesses, even himself and his family, into slavery in order to pay back his debt. But the debtor begs the king and says, please don't do this. And the king relents. And instead of making him sell everything, the king cancels the debt and lets him go. But immediately the man who's had his debt cancelled walks out and finds someone who owes him some money and he's only owed a hundred silver coins But because he can't be paid the hundred silver coins, he takes the one who owes him that and throws him in prison. The king hears about this, calls the first man to himself and ends up throwing him in prison until he's paid back his original debt. We see here a man receiving the forgiveness and mercy of the king himself, but not exhibiting that same kind of mercy and forgiveness to others. And it comes back to bite him. The character of God throughout the scriptures is mercy triumphing over judgment. It's forgiveness and compassion and kindness overcoming punishment and anger. And that's how we're invited to live too. If we picture that as scales on one side, mercy and forgiveness and kindness. And on the other side, judgment and condemnation. How are your scales weighed? Hopefully, our scales are weighed with mercy and and kindness and forgiveness and judgment is much, much less. So, do not judge or you too will be judged. But secondly, do judge. Sorry, don't judge, but do judge. Will you stop confusing me, Phil? (laughs) What's going on here? What are you saying? I want to suggest that Jesus is saying That what Jesus is saying is don't judge in a way that belies an attitude of self-righteousness, superiority, condemnation. But that is not to say there is no need of judgment. Or perhaps a better way of phrasing that is the need for discernment. Even in these verses that we've already read, we see that there are judgments being made that are necessary. We need to judge what is the plank that's sticking out my eye so I can get rid of it. And then if I get rid of the plank and permission is given to me, can I discern what is the speck in your eye that I can help you with if you want my help in removing that speck? That involves discernment and judgment. 
And then in verse 6, where we finished our passage thus far, it says, Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. These dogs <laughs> that are being talked about are not these English pets that many of you in Hub Community Church have been buying through lockdown. This is not Lassie. This is not those that want to be cuddled and... Uh, uh, stroked and looked after and who know that you will feed them and would never dare turn to you and uh, bite you or, or attack you in any way. These perhaps are Indian dogs or African dogs, dogs that wander the streets scavenging the morsels of food, devouring all that they can. Around those kinds of dogs, you're careful. You don't want them turning on you. You don't throw them stuff that they can't consume because you may well end up being attacked yourself. What I suggest that what this passage is saying is that discernment or judgment, and it is the same word actually, is needed in sharing the pearls of the kingdom. Whether those pearls are what I've come to learn of the kingdom as I've followed Christ and become a wannabe Jesus follower disciple. It may be the behaviour that is expected in the kingdom that has been worked out in my life as Christ uh, transforms me. I, I start to realise what uh, behaviour, what character, what conduct enables me to thrive. But am I taking those pearls, those treasures, or even the very nature of the gospel itself and somehow, just without any kind of discernment, throwing them before people who don't want to know? who don't want to hear, who are not ready to respond. This is saying be careful because even in the extreme, some of those may be out to get you. Thank God we in the West, on the whole, don't face the extreme of that. And yet discernment is still needed how and to whom we share these pearls, these treasures that we have found. Remember Matthew 10 and finding a worthy house. And then if you're not received by this worthy house, by a house that you come to, then you shake the dust off your feet until you find a house that will receive you, known as a worthy house. And there you stay, and there you share, and there you bless. There's something of discernment going on here. For Jesus' followers, they lived in an occupied territory. We don't. They were more likely to be physically mauled if they exercised no discernment or care. And yet the point is still well made. Let me summarise briefly for us where we've got to thus far. In seeing your brother or sister and sometimes making judgments, critiquing, noticing something. Make sure you are firstly empathetic. Put yourself in their shoes. Recognise their journey is not your journey and who knows how you would be in their situation. Have you ever approached someone who's living on the streets and talked to them about how did they end up there? And it's not infrequent that you find people who are holding down very well established jobs and roles in society and yet life has gone against them in some way and they've ended up on the streets and maybe they're now sitting there drowning their sorrows dealing with their pain by drinking and we can stand there in judgment that's not to say that we know that there is a perhaps a way that to live that would enable them to thrive more but we can stand there in judgment without entering their pain and who knows 
how I would be if I'd walked through their situation. We don't know the pain of another, do we? So we should be slow to judge and full of compassion. Secondly, we need to remember our own need of God. We are flawed. I am, at least, a flawed follower of Jesus. And so mercy should always weigh heavier on my scales than judgment. And thirdly, we do need to remember that there are those around who are not yet ready to receive. Then in the extreme, they might attack. They might seek to pull me down. Perhaps not physically, but perhaps in many other ways. And if I go parading the wisdom that I've received through being part of the kingdom of God, the judgments, the pearls, the sacred insights that I've been given, if I parade those willy-nilly and forget my own place of weakness and fallibility, then I'm asking for trouble. I'll be devoured by others. Instead, as our text says in verse 7 to 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we're to come asking, seeking, knocking. I want to suggest that there may be two ways in which this instruction can be used. The first is to uh, our approach to individuals, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to suggest that primarily this is about how we approach God. That we come constantly asking, persisting. You could translate this as continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. There's something of persistence and perseverance and keeping on that that goes on in our dialogue, in our prayer uh, with God. And we know that as we come to God, we recognise that he is a good father. Again, even in these verses, we see that discernment, if you like, judgment is being made. We recognise He's a good father and that however good my own fatherhood is, it pales and could be called evil in comparison to him. If you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more the father in heaven? That's discernment. That's judging. So it's not saying we shouldn't do those things. It's assumed we can discern between a good father and our own nature in comparison. The point is primarily here that we as we remember our need of God and keep asking and keep knocking and keep seeking and admit that there are planks in my eyes and flaws in my character that I haven't got it all together and I keep coming to God on those on behalf of those things that actually God of course as a good father who wants me to look like one of his children who wants me to exhibit the character of Jesus who wants to see the kingdom outworked in my life of course he's going to do all that is necessary to bring me to that place to transform me. And so I can come to this father, not begrudging, not a father who is primarily a disciplinarian, who's just out to get me, not a father who's lax, but I come to a father who perfectly knows when to give and when to withhold. And so I can come with faith and joy and expectation that the father who loves us perfectly and wants us to grow and to look like him will therefore, of course, give everything necessary for that to happen. That's a massive 
challenge to us, isn't it? It's a massive challenge because I can so easily import my own flawed view of fatherhood or my own flawed practice of fatherhood onto God and forget that actually he's the perfectly good father. In fact, just a few weeks ago, as I was reflecting um, on something or other, maybe, maybe I was going to go praying or whatever, and I, I suddenly realised that my view of God was flawed. As I was thinking about God in a particular way and how I uh, prayed or didn't pray to him, it was like, no, Phil, God's not like that. That even after all these years of walking with him, God was still shining his light and helping me to think about his character and the kind of God he is and recognising, actually, I had a flawed perception of who he was and I think I know where some of it came from I think some of it came from some of the way I'd uh, understood God or people had talked about God when they talked about God as father and and uh, or, or, or his character and in many ways those teachings were well intentioned but they'd left me with this perception of God or this reaction to God that demonstrated I had a flawed view of who he is this scripture says he's a good father and so I can come with faith As I continually ask him and seek him and knock on the door. God, sort this out in my life. Help me resemble you more. Deal with my flawed picture of who you are. But I think also this asking and seeking and knocking perhaps gives us a little clue as to how to approach individuals as well. That we come to individuals whom we may want to help. But we come in an approach that puts us in a humble position. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. We're not demanding, imposing or coercing. We're not coming in a way that makes me out to be right. But we listen and we wait for a door to be opened and an invitation to be given. And if God has revealed something of the treasures of his kingdom to us, then as we're asked and the door is opened, we can share those to someone who's ready to receive. Finally, we then have verse 12. The golden rule, the conclusion of this passage, which goes like this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In all things, live out this golden rule. It's not a rule to get what I want. If I do kind to you, you'll do kind to me. Somehow I'm just manipulating things to get what I want. It's not a childish, I gave you a sweetie. You better give me a sweetie back. It's not that. But it's a code of conduct that invites me to put my front foot forward in taking initiative to treat others in the way that I'd love to be treated. If I go front foot forward and start showing mercy and compassion and empathy and kindness and generosity and why don't we call it love? Imagine how the world could be transformed and how the church could be transformed if that was our response to one another and to the whole world that we engage with. Instead of coming with condemnation and judgment and arrogance, the world would be transformed, wouldn't it? And this phrase, in everything due to others, what you'd have them do to you, sums up the law and the prophets. Seems to point to a summary that Jesus gives later on in Matthew when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. That sums up the law and the prophets. Here we're focused in on the love of neighbour. But I think inherent, implicit uh, in that love of neighbour is the fact that I can't even love my neighbour unless I've first encountered 
the love of God. Unless the love of God is at work in me. It's inherent in there. And so as we come to this Sermon on the Mount. And we think about our treatment of one another. We think about our treatment of those who both know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Let's not be those who look down our long noses. The moral police of the universe. Inspector Phil. Inspector Hubchurch. But let us be those who come with compassion and mercy and kindness and generosity and love. And yes, let us be discerning. And yes, if we've got pearls and treasures to give and the door is opened and the invitation is made, then we can walk through that door and help each other. You can help remove the planks from my eyes and I can help remove the specks from yours. And we can help one another to continually be transformed into the image of the Jesus that we follow. We are, aren't we, flawed wannabe followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. But we can be transformed. We can grow in our ability to, well, in the God-given ability to reflect him more fully. God bless you. Hope that's been encouraging. See you again sometime.